Hey, welcome to everybody joining us from Facebook Live today. Yeah, and welcome to all of you if you're joining us from the BibleQuest.org app. As we've been doing uh, in the previous weeks, we were taking uh, live questions uh, from the audience. So whether you've joined us on Facebook or whether you're using the Zoom app, please send us your questions. Um, if you're watching the show on Facebook, just comment below with a question or a comment on what we're talking about. And we'll be happy to answer your questions. We're going to try to address everyone's questions live on the air as they come in. And if you are joining us through the BibleQuest.org app, you can also call in by clicking on the little hand icon. Um, and if you or text us by using the Q&A box. Um, and you should, you should see those two uh, icons uh, in the window. Now, with all that out of the way, let me welcome our panelists, who most of you already know by now. But what you don't know is that today, Scott and Stephen are joining us from, where are you joining us from? Bowie, Maryland. Bowie, Maryland. Hi, guys. And I'm your host, Drew DeGrotto from Honesdale. So with that out of the way, we've been getting some interesting questions, haven't we, Stephen? We, we have indeed. Um, while we wait for any live questions that may come in today, uh, you can send those in at any time if you're listening to the show right now. But let's talk about a question that we've been trying to catch up with some of the questions. Uh, the question has to do with segregation within churches. And really the question is, why are so many churches segregated or self-segregated? I think the idea behind that is the idea of even among race, that there are churches that are predominantly of one ethnic group. So what are y'all's thoughts on that? What, what would be some reasons behind that? Well, historically in, in this country, and, and it's not just in this country, I was uh, amazed in Europe at how much some of the Europeans uh, hate each other. Uh, I had Czech friends go into Germany and get kicked out of a German shop because they were Czech and everything. Wow. So there, there's prejudice all over the world. But in, in our country, there's there's been a history uh, of racism and segregation, and that's responsible for a lot of that. A uh, couple of historical notes. Um, I remember hearing about a church in South Carolina, I think in the 50s, and they had a rope down the middle that apparently some local ordinance wanted them roped off, and they had white people on one side of the rope, black people on the other side of the rope. Um, there, I've heard of churches years ago, uh, this would be probably early sixties where sometimes there were, uh, you, you might not call them bouncers at the door waiting to see who was going to be, uh, let in or not. And that's, a, um, but after that, I remember like in the seventies, I remember one, one congregation, it was a large congregation of white people. And they had, they had a lot of income, I would presume, in, in contribution. And they supported a preacher of another race and helped him start another church nearby. Now, this would be, I suppose, presented in with the light that they would have liked to have seen it in. Oh, look, we're helping these people. But in effect, what it was, like when somebody black visited that church, it was explained to them, oh, we have 
you know, kind of like the back of the bus type thing. We've got a special church for you a few blocks away, which is just ugly. Now, what are some biblical principles, guys, that, that, that just address how attitudes should be? Whether we're talking about Hungarians and Slovaks, Czechs and Germans, or, or blacks and whites in America. I can't think. Of, where's that? Well, it sure seems like. Are, are you referring to like where it says uh, there's neither Jew nor Greek nor male or female, so that in Christ, God doesn't recognize these differences? Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about the same verses. Galatians three, uh, pick up five, where it says, "But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith." For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. That's Galatians 3, 25-29. And it seems really clear there that one of the beautiful things about the gospel is that it's supposed down these other barriers that separate us and we are all on equal ground as far as being children of God and churches really should look more like that that we're all yep. worshiping together we're, we're working together in our community yeah and I think in a few minutes we should talk about some practical things and, and how that plays out but let's continue first on, on some more biblical texts there was a group of people in the New Testament that mentions in the Gospel of John, Jesus was talking to one of these people, and the person was surprised because it says Jews didn't have any dealings with these people. And so this woman was shocked that Jesus, who was Jewish, was actually talking to her. Who was that? The, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. Yeah. And so see, why are you're a Jew? And you're talking to me, a, a Samaritan, for Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Now, with that as a background, let's consider this account in Luke chapter 10. Verse 25, behold, a certain lawyer stood up and made trial and said, teacher, what shall I do that I should inherit eternal life? And Jesus asked him what was written in the law. And he replied correctly with both the, uh, the first and second greatest commandment. What did he say? You love the Lord your God with all your heart. And love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. And then Jesus said, that's right. Do that and live. But then what does the lawyer do? Wants to justify himself and says, who is my neighbor? <laughs> now, what's the point of his question? Who is my neighbor? Well, some people are more neighbors than others, apparently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if, if you're in the same social, economic, educational class, speak the same language, have the same skin color, you know, belong to the same civic organizations, and you actually live next door to me in the same subdivision in our houses or within $5,000 of each other in value, then who are you? You must be my neighbor. You're my neighbor. I can be nice to you. Ah, then there's those people that aren't in our subdivision. And maybe they make more money, or maybe they make less money. And maybe they speak with an accent, or maybe they even speak a different language. 
and maybe they're a different color and it can be easy for people to feel that those people are what? Not part not, of my not. crew. Yeah. Yeah. Not part of my neighborhood. And Jesus says here in response, when he says, Who, who's my neighbor? Jesus tells this fantastic story. Jesus made answer and said, and I like the way he did this. He could have just answered it, but instead he tells a story and, and lets the lawyer answer it. Jesus made answer and said, a certain man. Tell everybody what verse you're in. Again. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. We're in Luke chapter 10 and verse 30. And this is in reference to the question that we got in about why are church some segregation. segregated. Yeah. Some people yeah, just might have been that. coming in late, and I want to make sure everyone know what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I've got, so I've got that about. question pinned as a pinned comment if you're watching on Facebook Live. So that's the question we're talking about. And we're looking also for live questions to be coming in today. So as we're talking about racism and segregation, feel free to, to jump in. All right, so Jesus responds to this lawyer who wanted to know, oh, I know that I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but how far does that go? How big is my neighborhood? Here's the story. A certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers who both stripped him and beat him, departed, leaving him half dead. Now, he doesn't say what race this man is, but Jesus begins a number of his parables with a certain man. Like a certain man had two sons. And you go on through the text, and it's, it's clearly Jewish because the low point in his life is when he had to feed pigs. Another time he'll say, a certain man. And when that man dies... Uh, the reference is made that he and his brothers had had Moses and the prophets. So this would be, if a certain man spoken to a Jewish audience is going from Jerusalem to Jericho, the obviously inference, what kind of man would this be? Jewish. He would be Jewish. Yeah. So he's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers who stripped him, beat him, departed, leaving him half dead. By chance, who came along and saw him? A Samaritan. Not first. Oh. First, it's the Levites. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm ahead of the story. Excuse me. Priest, rather. Excuse me. Priest, Priest. 31. And now, the, you're laying in the ditch, and another robber might come along. But, oh, no, look. It's a priest. It's a priest of Israel. And what does the priest do? He saw him, and he passed by on the other side. Yeah. Why do you suppose he passed by on the other side? He didn't want to have to <laughs> yeah. deal with his problems, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And he could have walked by close to him, but if you walk by close to him, you got, you're going to see a little bit more of what's going on with his wounds and stuff. And he might make eye contact with you, too. Hmm. A lot easier to just, not my problem, go by on the other side. And so he left him. Uh, in like manner, who comes by now? Then the Levite comes. He comes. Okay, well, the priest, maybe he had things to do. Here's a Levite, okay? What does the Levite do? Pass yeah. on the other side, too. When he saw him, pass by on the other side. Oh, so you're laying there. You're half dead. The priest didn't help you. The Levite didn't help you. And then who comes? Now that Samaritan comes. Samaritan. Yeah, a certain Samaritan. And he comes, and when he saw him, all three men we have, and when he saw him, when the priest saw him, other side. Levi saw him, other side. What does the Samaritan do when he saw him? He felt compassion. Why would he feel compassion? That's not a Samaritan in the ditch. 
maybe he was considering him a brother in humanity or whatever. Yeah. Just all fell human. Yeah. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. If I'm laying beat up half dead in a ditch, should I care what race of person stops and helps me? Not at all. And if I see somebody in help in, in need like that, should we care what race they are? Not it's, at all. It's, it's, it's a fellow human being that we need to, to, to help out of love. So he's moved with compassion. Does he, does, does he step over and say, hey, good luck deal there. Be warmed and filled? No, no. He actually bandages them. Yeah, what else? Mm-hmm. And he takes them, uh, gives them oil and wine um, on on his wounds. So he's adding, he's he's doing medical um, treatment yeah. to him. What else? He puts him on his own beast, which means he had a walk. Yes. Mm-hmm. So what? This guy's day is, you know, he's given up his day to to serve this man. And now, what else does he do? They went to take care of him, but the next, so apparently this was an overnight event. Brought him to an inn, took care of him, and on the next day gave money to the innkeeper and said, here's this, and when I come back, take care of him. Whatever you spend more, I, when I come back again, will repay you. Yeah. Then Jesus says to the lawyer, which of these three do you think proved neighbor unto him that fell among the robbers? And so the lawyer says, the one who showed him mercy. Yeah. And so Jesus says, go and do likewise. So when we come back to our question, who's our neighbor? Every human being that we come in contact Every, with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it, it's wonderful in the New Testament. You'll see Luke, who's a Gentile. Matthew, who had been a zealot. I mean, excuse me. Matthew, who had been a tax collector. Simon, who had been a zealot, both Jews, but politically you know, very, very different. Um, we, we see Africans, we see uh, Greeks, we see Jews, and together they're in Christ. And that's the way it should be. Yeah. We also have a comment. Uh, Randy Berry commented in the app that he even pays for somewhere for him to stay, which we pointed out there. And actually, Daryl uh, is here, and he also pointed out that Jesus doesn't just say, well, who was the neighbor, but he asks, who proved to be a neighbor to him, Yeah, which is different. Being a neighbor is not just a situation you find yourself in, but it's something that you choose to be. Um, it's not just happening to be close, but it is, I'm going to be a neighbor to this person. And before leaving that good Samaritan, let's just notice a couple things really quick. What kind of men were the robbers? Wicked, moral-wise. Oh, they're criminals, evil men. Evil, evil, evil men. What kind of men were the priests and Levite? Supposedly holy. But morally, what kind of people were they? Oh, they, they were evil, too. Yeah, they're evil, too. In, in a more path, they wouldn't have picked up the rock and hit him in the head and robbed him, but they weren't going to help him either. So they're more... Their sins weren't so much of commission, but more of omission. The, the, the robbers are actively evil, but the priest and Levite are passively evil and selfish. Uh, and, of course, what kind of a man is a Samaritan? He's a good man. Which is why we call this the parable of the good Samaritan. And what was the character of the man in the ditch? We have no idea. 
because it's irrelevant. He he was hurting and needed help. Is there yeah. any? I, I, I don't, we're not done with the question, I'm sure, because you wanted to bring up a few other points, but something just struck me. Uh, is there other teachings that teach that principle in the Old Testament? Of of like how you treat other people? Yeah, as, yeah. as clearly as that one. Not, not as emphatically, because in the Old Testament, the kingdom of Israel was sent into a land full of wicked people that were to be annihilated. Uh, and yet there was also, it talked about kindnesses that you were to show to the sojourner who, who sojourned with you. Uh, and, and there were also, even among the Israelites, it said, if your enemy's ox gets stuck in a ditch, Help him get it out. You know, the, the idea of love your enemies is not something new with Jesus. That, that was in the old law. Um, and, and, and we see various just acts of kindnesses and, and stuff. And that, that's what we need to be. We need to be, we need to be kind and, and realize. And, and there were national distinctions of the covenant people in the old covenant that does not exist today because today we do not have the nation that belongs to God. France is not the kingdom of God. The United States is not the kingdom of God. The Philippines are not the kingdom of God. And Canada is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God needs to be people of various languages, various colors, various tongues that have denied self and turn and follow him. And that's what should be important among fellow Christians when it comes to who they're worshiping with, not these other distinctions. Stephen, did you have a question? Yeah, it's interesting to me that uh, somebody pointed out recently that the book of Jonah also addresses this somewhat because Jonah wants to preach and he preaches some to Israel. But then when God calls him to preach and to make converts of the Assyrians, <laughs> the, the city of Nineveh, he doesn't want to do that. He, he begrudges the Lord's mercy to them and uh, tries to get away from that. The Lord gives him another chance. He goes, he preaches, they uh, repent and are turned back, and he still doesn't want to have anything to do with them. He, he waits to see if God will destroy them and is disappointed. And the book of Jonah is one of two books in the Old Testament that ends with a question. You know, it's like, should I not pity, pity Nineveh after God destroys the plant? Uh, and uh, he points out, these people don't know the right hand from the left. Uh, they, they don't know. And, and I think that Jonah's attitude is one that we can sometimes have, and one reason that churches are sometimes segregated is that we start to make distinctions among ourselves based on nationality or based on race. And we, we stop seeing people just as souls. Uh, it's another soul uh, precious in God's sight. Even if they're coming from a, a rough background morally or uh, uh, whatever other background they may be coming from. And we need to love them and see them the way that the Lord sees them and want them to come to Christ just as he's had mercy on us. This this principle that was uh, talked about in the Old Testament, and Jesus is clarifying it and even making it more obvious with the story he's telling, um, we don't come across or we don't come to the conclusion that we want to act or live that way. The natural, the natural instinct of man is not to have that attitude towards each other. Is there any teachings in man's wisdom where this is a parallel or this is taught. Yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, it's very, um, it's very politically, 
politically and morally correct today, you know, to oppose racism. So, yeah, I mean, you've got atheists that are opposed to racism. They don't think we should then worship God together because they don't think there's a God, but they're opposed to racism. Um, but let, let, let's talk. Let's We've talk also, before, before we change on the question, Randy Berry has asked in the app real quick, what about Deuteronomy 2419? Is this a similar situation or a command? Deuteronomy 2419 reads, when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Oh, that's good. Yeah, and it seems to be that there the Lord just wants them to, the Lord showed a special care for the poor and wanted them to make a special provision for the poor. In this case, if they left a sheep in the field, don't make, don't make double sure you got everything. Leave some things in the field so that those who do not have, and even if they're foreigners, um, can come through and take that and you're providing for them by leaving those things behind. So I do think yeah. that does have, that has to do with this principle of loving all people the same. Good, good point. Let's talk about this on a practical level for, for just a minute. So recently I was at a congregation and it was pretty much all one race and they had had some members uh, of another race, but then some of them like had, had moved to Florida and, and different things. And there was one person left and then they left to go somewhere else. And they said, they said, Oh, we, we, we wanted to hear, why did you leave? And she said, there's nobody left there like me. Mm. And, um, so let's just think uh, a little bit about just reaching out and, and, and being, understanding some of the feelings that people can have. I remember one time I was worshiping a congregation. Everybody there was black except me. I, I was sitting there white and I, it, it was, I kind of appreciated uh, this in a way, but I, I understood also, you know, that they made me feel welcome, but also made me feel conspicuous because they got up and they said, and we'd like to welcome our white brother. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know there's a, if you're in a room where everyone else is a certain way and you're not, it can make you feel conspicuous. What are some things we can do to help? Because you know what? We're like that in every single way, not just race. There's things that are unique about me. When I'm in a room, nobody else may be that. And, and now we'd like to welcome our six, six foot six brother. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm usually the only six foot six guy there. Um, uh, you know, you, you, Stephen, you're often the only bilingual hymn writer in the room, you know, and, and, uh, Drew, you might be sometimes the, the only photographer, professional photographer, now preacher in the room, but do we let those things bother us and change how we view each other? No, not, we ought not to. So, so what are some practical things we might do to just help uh, the, the, the environment to be and the blending to be what it should be. Well, I think James too gives us that 
that principle of just don't show partiality. And James 2 specifically, it's the distinction of rich and poor when you kind of are showing extra favor to one group or the other, is to as, as best as we can to try to treat everyone the same way. Uh, and just, okay, there's something different about this person. It doesn't matter in Christ. Uh, treat everyone the same way. Try as best as we can. I don't know if to ignore the distinctions is the best way to say it, because sometimes there is a place to recognize that there's a distinction. Yeah. But to not let that change the way that we approach someone, or when we really start to realize we're spending an inordinate amount of time with people that are only like me. Uh, you know, try to balance that out. Try to try to just spread our, our efforts and our our love. Um, around equally as best as we can, regardless of other distinctions we might make. All right, we've got three comments that have come in, two about what we've been talking about. I'm going to read those, and then there's a question, totally different subject. So, Drew and Stephen, I'm going to throw that question out to you. But first, let me read the other comments. Uh, Sergey uh, says, uh, from Moldova, don't know if it helps or not, but in that time and culture, the Roman list of virtues didn't include love and humility. As for the Jews, in spite of the Old Testament, they too didn't hurry to condescend to those who were the least. So the behavior of the priest and the Levite was quite natural for the majority. So Jesus' teaching was quite uh, countercultural, even to the Jews. Mm-hmm. And I'll add this, that how often, especially in the Gospel of Luke, do you see Jesus singling out and commending the outsider? The, 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 who does, and also in Matthew, who does Jesus say, I haven't seen faith like that among any of the Israelites? The man was a what? A Gentile. Mm-hmm. Uh, Libby says, to realize on how to do this, to realize how small those distinctions are compared to what we have in common. And I think she nailed it. And she continues, like in a group of people who are all veterans, but one has a mole, uh, or a group of football players, but one is missing a tooth. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or, or one is Finnish. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't matter compared to what we have in common. Yeah, and the more we cultivate and, and, and relate to each other, and the more div- the more uh, a, a church looks like a variety of people in the community, uh, a, a benefit of that is that way when somebody walks in the door, they don't have to wonder if they're being looked at or, or, or singled out or viewed as different because they look around and they see a variety of people. That's a healthy thing. All right. Uh, Joshua asked, my brother has been struggling spiritually and has stopped coming to church a few months ago. He says he can't see God in the church. After church is over, discussions aren't still about God. It's about other plans. How should I encourage him? So he says he doesn't see God in the church. After worship is over, people are talking about other things, not God. So he doesn't see God in that, so he's quit going to church. How can this fellow help his brother? Drew, Stephen? Well, I think he's not, his, his brother is not alone in that. Uh, 
I think there's a lot of people who feel that way. They, they go to church and there's an increasing number of people who feel that God and the church are kind of two separate things uh, that uh, spirituality and being connected to God is kind of over here. And then there's a separate thing about going and being part of a church family and worshiping together. And one important thing to understand uh, as we look in the scriptures is that God and his people are connected, but they are, they are two different things. There's a lot of times where people are going to disappoint us and people are going to let us down. And we need to make sure that we don't think that because people have let us down, that somehow God has let us down or God is unfaithful because people who wear his name are unfaithful. That, that's always going to be the case. We're, we're always, we're never going to be perfect. We're never going to be able to be God to someone else. I, I hate that he's found himself in a situation where he sees the people around him are not acting very spiritual. Maybe they're not talking about God very much after services, but it's important to realize that doesn't change God. It doesn't change who God is or what God wants. And God wants us to encourage each other. Um, instead of stopping being with those people, it may be good if he is a spiritual person and wants to be a spiritual person. Well, ask more people about God, you know, be the one who helps start those spiritual conversations. Yeah. Um, and to seek to encourage your brothers, brothers, instead of pulling away from them. A couple of things. Um, what would Paul have done if he quit going to church every time he saw people behaving unspiritually? Well, he would not have gone to any churches, I don't think. <laughs> it's like, Especially not Corinth. But <laughs> <laughs> He would not have been back there. Uh, and, and instead, what did he do? He helped him. There's something else here. It says, after church is over, discussions aren't still about God. Does that mean that God is not important to those people? No, no. No. I mean, you can have after church, somebody might be talking about, I really needed that lesson. You know, I, I'm, I'm going to take that heart. I really needed that. I'm so glad I was here today and heard that. And that's fantastic. But you could have somebody who is godly and who has praised God and who has listened to the word and they've got plans uh, for later in the day, you know, to get together with some friends for a barbecue or, or go see a ball game or get together with their kids for some school activity. Is anything wrong with them talking about that? No, it's all part of life as mm -hmm. well. And so we also need to be careful not to judge people on our perception of how often and how long, you know, how many minutes after a service you still have to be discussing God. Mm -hmm. yeah, suppose, Drew, suppose you and Stephen and I are all worshiping the same congregation and I've let you know that I think you're not spiritual if you're not talking about God after church. And after church, you guys spend about 30 minutes talking about God. And then, and, and I'm there with you too. But then one of us after 30 minutes brings up the ball game. 
well, now we know who's not godly. <laughs> yeah. You know, we don't need to be uh, okay. hard on people like that. All right, so how do we help jo- uh, Josh with his question then? How, how, does, how should he, what he need to do to encourage his brother? But let's think of some oh. biblical verses that would help out here. What are some biblical verses that would help out? Hmm. Three, thirteen. Encourage one another, day by day, as long as it's called a day, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And Hebrews ten, provoking one another unto love and good works, not forsaking our assembling together as the custom of some is. Now, from the Hebrew letter, is it clear that some of those Hebrews had become dull of hearing? Oh, yeah. Needed to get back to persevering more? Needed to hold fast a little more? Yeah, but was the solution to forsake assembling? No. Hold fast. Provoke one another to love and good works. Not necessarily my perception of what they need to do for how many minutes and how long but unto love and good works. And sometimes people that may not be impressing us may be doing all sorts of good things we don't know about. That's very true. I think it's also important to note that Hebrews 10.24 asks us to consider how we can stir up others to love and to good works. So many times we think about going to church more in terms of what do I get out of it? And that is part of it, but it's certainly not all of it. If we go into a congregation thinking more about what can I give? Who needs yes. encouragement? How can I be a spiritual conversation starter? Then it's going to be a very different experience for us than just going in and saying, I want to be fed. I want to be fed. I want to be fed. Oh, I didn't get fed. God must not be in this church. Yeah, that may be an exaggeration, but I think there are some times that that's what ends up happening. Yeah. And so we just have to be, uh, Lori Meesucker, a couple minutes ago in the uh, chat box made a comment that says, be as self-forgetful as we can and be as other aware as Ooh, we can. that's good. And so, that's helpful. So, Randy so, Berry also... Well, hold uh, on, don't, before you go there, I want to I just address with, with Joshua a little bit more. Specifically, then Joshua... Would it be upon himself then to be and, and encourage his brother? That's what he's asking how. But to find out maybe there's more going on than just that. So he needs to have closer one-on-one conversations with him to find out what is some of the issues that's causing his weakness. Because I think the question also talked about he was struggling spiritually to begin with. Yeah. Maybe, maybe the fact that they weren't talking about God longer after a service is not the main issue. Maybe there's something else going on. That, that really could be. And who, who would be in a better position than him to try to find that out and try to help him in those other areas as well? And to remind him that, you know, all of us sometimes need help. Uh, sometimes we divide people into givers and takers. All of us sometimes need to be on the taking end. We need somebody else to encourage us, to, to, to challenge us, to boost us, to, to be there for us, to support us. You know, in Thessalonians, it talked about, you know, support the weak, be long-suffering with all. But more of the time, we need to spend on the giving end. 
Mm-hmm. And if everybody's giving more than they're taking, like, like it says this in first, if you ever notice in Galatians, it says, bear one another's burdens. Then just a verse or two later it said, each man shall bear his own burden. Mm. So it's like, my view should be, I shouldn't be expecting Drew to carry my burden. I shouldn't be expecting Stephen to bear my burden. I need to bear my burden and be looking for whose burden I can carry. Yeah. But sometime I'm going to be in a position where I need somebody to help me carry my burden. So if, if I can use an image of the Israelites coming out of Egypt, okay, and I've got my stuff and I don't want to carry it. So I say, hey, Drew. How about you be a good brother and carry all my stuff for me? <laughs> I'm not bearing my burden. But suppose, but suppose I'm elderly and infirm. Well, then would you be right says, there to do it right away? Hey, Scott, let me, let me carry that for you. If we'll look more at what we can do, and, and this might help too. Say, let's pick a brother. Let's pick somebody that we can go help. And if you and, and if you'll get back to church at once, he's willing to do right himself, and get back to church and pick somebody to help, and then maybe somebody else. He says, "Hey, let's pick somebody in the next week or two to go help. Maybe it's somebody elderly that needs some, you know, their their leaves raked in the fall, or is their snow shoveled in winter, or or whatever. Or maybe it's somebody in the hospital, you know, that needs a visit. Let's go do this. It's amazing how much we benefit." and grow from making ourselves servants for other people. Yes. Amen. We have a, one more comment on this and then we need to try to get to a couple other questions. We spent almost all the day on one uh, question and we just got a few more minutes left. Randy Berry uh, added here. I had a similar experience. And this is, I think talking about um, what Scott talked about being kind of the only white guy in a predominantly black congregation. He said, I had a similar experience when I first worshiped text in my Ignorance at the time would not allow me to understand I was really, what I was really there for. I looked at the color and had a perception of the financial makeup of the brethren there. Coming from a place where people got up and shouting, I felt that I was out of place. Uh, so yeah, I think several of us have felt that way at different times. So thanks, everybody, for your questions today. Uh, we want to try to get to a couple questions that uh, came up a, a few weeks ago. Uh, that we have been in the queue. Uh, the next one on our list today is a question about a specific passage in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. And the question is, who is the man of lawlessness in Second Thessalonians chapter 2? And that passage uh, says, starting in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter, seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for the, that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is taken out of the way. And when the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming, 
The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Uh, and there's a couple of other comments there at the end of the passage, but this the uh, primary context of the man of lawlessness. Do you brothers have uh, comments or thoughts on the man of lawlessness or his identity there? Drew? You notice the silence? <laughs> <laughs> well, we know he's in the world when Paul's alive. The, I don't know if it says it in that verse, but it says it in another already work. I'm sorry? It says the mystery of lawlessness doth already work. But wasn't there yeah. another verse, maybe not here, but it talks about this one is already here. Oh, you're talking about Antichrist in First John. Oh, okay, that's that's an Antichrist. Which, I, which I don't could, or it could not be the same thing. Yeah, not necessarily the same thing. Okay. Yeah. Let's start by process of elimination. It's not Peter. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the Good Samaritan. It's not Mary. Uh, we can go through a few billion and narrow it down a little bit. Uh, I'm not sure who it is. Uh, there are some things about it with, that would seem to fit the papacy. Uh, it exalts itself. Um, there were directions that uh, started going toward that direction. Um, it, uh, it sits himself in the temple of God, not literally, not even truly spirit, but in, it presumptively, uh, the vicar of Christ, people kissing his ring, people saying that he is the head of the church on earth, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I, I'd, I don't know. But if I was going to throw a dart, I might say the papacy uh, or General Hirohito. You know, <laughs> I don't, I don't. That, <laughs> So a couple other comments real quick that have come in. Uh, Tabitha Tom commented on Facebook um, also with Josh's question, Josh's question was how to encourage his brother uh, who had stopped coming to church saying that he didn't see God among the people there anymore. She said, it may be helpful to consider Acts 2, 44 to 46. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. I would say there's a good chance many of these people talked with each other about selling their possessions or breaking bread in their homes after the worship service was over. Just because the conversation isn't about God himself does, does not mean it's, it isn't wholesome. Um, thanks for that, TJ. Uh, one other comment that came in uh, from Rod on the app says, some time ago a black congregation and a white congregation talked about merging, but the structure of their worship was so different it never took place. Um, and, and I can appreciate the fact that the effort was made. It would have been nice if it had been completed. It might be that they both felt things would be more effective to continue as they were. But I tell you what, I like, I like worshiping uh, in places where you've got, I remember when we started the work in Rhode Island, we had, we had, we had black, we had white, we had Jewish, we had Asian, we had mixed marriage, you know, we had, you know, there are all sorts of things. And I remember another congregation that, was you know a large portion was african-american large portion was white and uh i tell you what when when one of the black brothers led singing i, I really enjoyed singing uh, you know uh the, the the style of singing very well in that it's nice when we can 
uh, get past those things, but also be con- considerate of each other and work with each other. Yeah. Sergey says, one thing is clear. Oh, 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 this is on Second Thessalonians, uh, uh, man of lawlessness. One thing is clear. Paul is implying the need for the fulfillment of the prophecy in Daniel. So his point was that since the prophecy is not fulfilled, it is too early to be getting ready for the coming of Jesus. Yeah, good comment. Okay. Very good. Yes, yes. Also, I would say taking together Daniel and Romans, Nero is the best candidate. Well, that's interesting. I haven't heard that one before. Yeah, that's a very tough passage. And uh, like we talked about at the end of the program last week, there are times where we just need to be very careful, very humble uh, about how we answer those questions. It's hard to be dogmatic sometimes when, when the text just does not give a very clear answer. And sometimes even when history doesn't lend itself well to a particular answer, uh, we may have some guesses, we may have uh, some pieces of the puzzle, but we just need to be very careful to be humble about uh, the conclusions that we draw and conclusions that others may draw. Drew? Drew has a final comment there. You, well, I don't know if it's a final comment, but you had said it's hard to be dogmatic. That may be the problem. Sometimes people, it's easy to be dogmatic. Ah, yes. When we should No, it's hard to be dogmatic. (laughs) Absolutely. No one is ever dogmatic about anything. (laughs) So we need to... Oh, you're right. You're you're right, Drew. I'm I'm teasing you. No, I know you are. I know you are. We need to humble ourselves and say, we don't know the answer. We don't know the answer. That's right. And then if we listen, somebody else may know the answer and enlighten us. That's right. Correct. Want us to a verse or a comment. Oh, I'd not thought of that. Thank you. And then we can make, learn what it is. And there's also a balance that sometimes just because a text is difficult and there are many possible answers and we can't figure out which one it is, it doesn't mean we shouldn't study the passage. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't think about it and really seek to understand the Word of God. It's easy to go to one of two extremes uh, and either say, it's this is the answer, that's the only answer. Anybody who says differently is wrong. And on the other hand, you're just like, man, this is really hard. I'm just going to kind of leave that alone and kind of not ever think about it. Uh, And neither of those is the right answer. We need to really seek to understand Scripture. I'm I'm confident that we can understand what we need to know in order to be with the Lord. And a passage that one year confused us a few years later, we may be reading uh, a statement in that letter or by that author. He said, oh, and that provides the key to unlock the other one. That's right. Hey, listen, I really enjoy the questions that came in, the, the uh, spontaneous questions that came in today and yes, thank the comments. Uh, we want to encourage everyone to do that again. And you know what? We're going to ask the audience to do something else. Share this show, this program with other people. Let's get more people involved and get more questions. We've got a good number of people that have been coming in, but let's, uh, let's uh, get more questions, more people, and, and expand our quest for Bible knowledge. Yes. Shout out to TJ Smelser for sharing our video today. Thanks for doing that. Uh, We're going to wrap up for today. Uh, Thanks to everybody for joining today. And uh, we'll, we still have some more questions in the queue that we didn't get to this week. We're going, we'll try to get to more of those next week. In the meantime, keep, keep reading your Bible. Uh, Keep praying to God. Uh, Keep, uh, keep it up in your search for truth. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. You'll close us out, right? Yep. Okay. Have a good week. Bye-bye. Bye.